On this panel, different sides of our politics are brought together to discuss the big issues of the week. And this week, together with former Labour MP Avenues and Chad Mandelman, an independent, we're going to be discussing this week's politics. Let's jump into the first question. This past week, there was a horrific earthquake in Turkey, which has so far killed almost 30,000 people. Should it be the UK's responsibility to support foreign countries that are in dire need? Most definitely. I mean, we're a civilised nation. Um, a catastrophe, a humanitarian disaster anywhere in the world is all of our responsibility, any, anyone with any decency. And I don't believe the vast majority of British people begrudge aid being spent on human- responding to humanitarian crisis. Every country should step up to the plate. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased that the UK is, is doing what it's doing. We can always do more. But when it's human life, it's irrespective of what religion you are, what culture you are, what nationality you are. We have a duty. Human life is sacrosanct. Uh, and the horrendous catastrophe that we've seen and the impact on civilians, ordinary people, ordinary families, overnight uh, on, the, on the Turkish-Syrian border is absolutely shocking. So, of course, uh, we have a, a moral duty, a solemn duty, to do whatever we can uh, to help the affected population. And I agree, I think I speak for all three of us that uh, we express our condolences to the victims, uh, families of the victims. And it's so sad, it's uh, like to see so many people dying, actually it's 33,000 according to the latest BBC tool. Before I just came here, I saw I was seeing it was 33,000. And uh, I think as sad as the whole uh, catastrophe is, it is also a great testament to humanity how all the countries of the world, how people of all cultures, religions have come together. Uh, I was uh, I was listening to BBC uh, on the car uh, on radio that 60 million has been raised by British people to char- charity aid apples, uh, uh, and that's that shows. I think, I think they were expecting only to raise five million. Well, yeah, and 60, 60 million, and that shows the spirit of humanity. And may this continue. Definitely. On to the next question. Uh, which almost ties into the first question. Mm-hmm. The UK promised to give Ukraine £2.3 billion, as according to their website, uh, to fight off Russia's ruthless invasion. Now, Zelensky has also started to ask for jets, which is quite a big step and will really help fight off Putin. At what point are we going, going to give too much support to Ukraine, which has a potential, hopefully not, which, but which might have the potential to start a third world war uh, against Russia and other countries? But the stakes are very high. What we've said week after week is that Putin cannot be allowed to win this war. The message that it would send out to all sorts of tyrants uh, would be horrendous. This is about learning the lessons of history. And the lesson of history that I particularly am talking about is if you do not stand up to tyrants and ensure they are defeated, then I'm afraid... Uh, the price so that the what, world, what the price that the world much? will pay will be horrendous. So what point is it you, can, you can't put a figure on it. So you can't put an item of equipment on it. Yes. It's, a, it's a judgment call all of the time. And you're expecting our leaders to get these judgment calls right. I do expect them to get those judgment call, calls right. I, I think we should be honoured that President Zelensky chose to come to the UK and address the UK Parliament. It says a lot about how he feels about the support we've given uh, him uh, uh, so far. Uh, so, so let's be clear about this. We can't put a price on it, and we can't start talking about what equipment we can give and what equipment we can't give. Of course, nobody in their right mind wants to trigger a world war. And even at this stage, uh, we would all hope there'd be some sort of diplomatic resolution that would be possible. But that will only be possible if Putin agrees to cease his aggression. And there is absolutely no sign of that happening right now. The amazing courage that the Ukrainians have shown in the face of 
you know, a much larger country with a much mightier army. But the difference is the spirit of the people of Ukraine versus the conscripts in the Russian army, who frankly don't really want to be there and don't believe in the cause that they're being asked to fight. Uh, so, yes, uh, we should stand shoulder to shoulder with President Zelensky. And I want to tackle another argument. There are some who say that the behaviour of the Ukrainians during the Second World War, uh, during the Nazi era, was at, Nazi era was shocking, and particularly aimed at Jewish people uh, and other minorities. And of course it was shocking. But it's a mistake to then go from that to say, because of that, uh, we somehow don't, uh, we, we are making a big mistake uh, allying ourselves with the Ukrainians. I simply do not accept that. It's incredibly important for all of us uh, that Putin does not win this war. So, so no, I understand that. I think everyone would agree that, mm-hmm. of course, we're rooting for Ukraine to win and, and we could do whatever we want. But at what point is it too much? Should we give jets? Should we give... At what point will Putin say this I will, is too much? I will interject here in the sense that I'm a John Bolton school of uh, thought when it comes to foreign policy, like at the hawkish, and I believe we should give Ukraine, we should support Ukraine to the tilt, and we should give jets, Just not only jets, fighter jets, F-16s. Do you not think Putin might think that's an act of war? Well, Putin has already started that war. No, but so, no, I mean, like, no, well, more than just versus Ukraine. I'll be honest, after what I've seen in the last year, I'm not scared of Russia anymore. And I think this is the time to give Putin's regime a crushing blow and give Ukraine the fighter jets, the Eurofighter Typhoons, the Rafals, just give them and their 16s. Really. Everything with the, with the condition that... Uh, those jets will only defend Ukrainian air- airspace. So it won't all, go into Russian airspace. We also go send our troops and also go and fight. No, we won't send our troops. Why we are not? training Ukrainian troops. We will train Ukrainian Why fighters. We've learned fighter the lessons pilots. of some of the mistakes we've made, yeah. frankly, in putting troops on the ground yeah. in other parts of the world. Yeah. We've learned the mistake that that's not the right thing to do. But that's let me be clear. In, in, a war, no. in a war, do you do not disclose yeah. to your uh, opposing party what you're willing to do or you what you're not willing to do in public? Yeah. However important this podcast is, you yeah. do not tell the world yeah. where your red lines are in a conflict such as this. It's a very, very big mistake. Yeah. These judgments are very fine judgments, they're delicate judgments, and they have to be made on a case-by-case uh, basis. And I'm also very glad, I'm sorry, Evan, I'm also very glad that we are giving Ukraine the tanks, especially the Leopard 2 tanks and the Challenger tanks and the M1 Abrams. They will be a game changer on the ground and they will hopefully uh, allow Ukraine to hold on to Bakhmut and uh, like reconquer and liberate the eastern regions and Crimea as well. Yeah, no, I definitely get your point about that. We shouldn't share too much. I mean, mm. if I was interviewing Rishi Sunak, it's, a, it's a reasonable question. Yeah, yeah. I'm interviewing Rishi Sunak, of course, but I'm asking you. Yeah. Uh, mm. So, do you think pilot uh, jets are too much, or, you'd, or it's just like I agree with Shadman on that? It's just give whatever we can to fight. Uh, no, well, fight the, 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 the request for jets has been made. I think the prime minister has said that we're absolutely considering that. He's asked the secretary of state to, uh, to consider it, and he's right to do so. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Following an ITV news report, the police are being pushed to open a new investigation into Partygate, which is when Boris Johnson broke the rules during mm-hmm. lockdown to have a party. Mm-hmm. Should Boris be allowed to become Prime Minister again if he doesn't even, even keep to the rules that he tells everyone else to keep? Well, I think the Conservative Party is devoid of rules and regulations themselves. I think a few, like <laughs> nationally and locally, a few, a few weeks ago, Ivan exposed how breaching the IHRA definition in the local very conservatives was not considered an act of anti-Semitism. Uh, but having said that, I think with bo- your, I think your question was... Just should a, he legally be allowed to, should he legally, be I think, allowed to become Prime Minister again? He doesn't keep 
Well, at the end of the day, we are a democracy, and the Tory party will do what they want. I'm not a Tory member, so it's difficult for me to say, but I think it's time for a different government, a different, a, diff a change in politics. And do, you do you think that Boris Johnson should be legally barred from running again? I think those, I'm not a legal expert to answer that question itself, but I think he has already has an investigation where he misled the parliament so or not. If he did mislead it, do you think he should... Uh I'm not a legal expert, so Ivan, you yeah. tell me, yeah. what are the legal implications I think, I think there? We're, very, we're, we're difficult territory here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not questioning it legally, because yeah. yeah. legally, yeah. there are certain criminal convictions that one has yeah. that prevents people serving as a member of parliament, and therefore they couldn't be prime minister of the country. Okay. Yeah. I think it's to do with custodial sentence, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any custodial sentence. Okay, If the courts pass a custodial yeah. sentence, then you're not able to continue as a member of parliament, uh, therefore you can't be Prime Minister. The, the question really is, is, is he morally fit to be Prime Minister? Or not, is he legally uh, fit to be Prime Minister? Uh, and at the end of the day, um, I think that we need to look forward as a country, not backwards. Uh, I think people are... Do you think he's morally, uh, he's morally fit to be Prime Minister? I, I think what he did in terms of refusing to admit what had happened over Partygate, take responsibility, apologise and allow us all to move on is a big problem. Had you've done that, I don't think you would have had to resign over Partygate. Yeah. But the other issue that is, uh, uh, the cloud that is hanging over him is this parliamentary inquiry yeah. as to whether he misled Parliament. Now, it seems to me, if he did mislead Parliament, and there is an objective parliamentary uh, process going on, let's not prejudge it, I always say that, but let's yeah. not prejudge it, everybody's entitled to due process. If he's found to have misled Parliament willfully, then of course he should not be allowed to return as Prime Minister. What, morally or legally? Well, it's moral. It wouldn't be legal. It's morally. The only thing that disbars you is if either you are a bankrupt or if you're, you, you'll have a, cost, you, 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 just, you have a certain severe uh, sentence through the courts. Okay. But, Eli, by your point, the question that you are asking, Rishi Sunak has broken the law twice legally. He was also fined in the par party gate. Uh, was well, he, he, he was also he was also fined on the party gate, yeah. and he was fined for br not wearing a seat belt. Uh, <laughs> so, by, he doesn't have any moral yeah, clout to lead lead the country. I, I think the British people though, are quite smart about yeah. this. By the way, I don't actually belt. think mm. that they view the seat the, the, the seat belt incident, or even the fine in terms of his role in the party gate, as being sufficient to debar him from serving as prime minister. I think they were willing to give Rishi Sunak a chance, actually. Mm. Uh, and I think that people uh, still uh, don't dislike him intensely, as they do other politicians, but I think they're increasingly viewing, viewing him as weak and not in control of his own government and not really in power. And that's his biggest single problem right now. After uh, the, the period of time he's been in office, how is he perceived? And at the moment he's seen as a weak leader because of the Zahawi incident and several other incidents. Uh, so that's the biggest challenge uh, facing him. Do I honestly believe if you did a poll of British people whether the seatbelt incident was enough to disbar him from being promised, they would laugh at you probably and say, don't be ridiculous, because we all make little mistakes. Okay, it's serious, by the way, road safety and all the rest of it. People die on the roads in, yeah. in very large numbers, so we shouldn't laugh at it. But it's not a reason to say he's not fit to be Prime Minister. I think people watching this podcast would be a bit... Uh, surprised if we said that, and, and it'd look a bit political on my part, wouldn't it? it you know, it'd look as though I was just playing politics. So I'm yeah. not saying that, okay? But Boris, of course, there's been a series of incidents to do with not being, uh, not, uh, not being straight, basically. I, I think the biggest thing about Boris that I find it very hard to come to terms with is we all know Boris was a pro-European 
Tilly worked out that the only way to become leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister of the country was to lead the Brexit campaign. For me, that is a worse example of double standards, frankly, than any other. Because he never believed in Brexit. Mm. He only attached himself that to that campaign for opportunistic reasons. And when people say to me, and there are many people who watch your podcast say, oh, he's still quite fond of him and he's a, you know, a lovable rogue and he wasn't that bad and actually had many achievements as Prime Minister. I think they should always think about that. It was the biggest single issue facing the country, whether you were for Brexit or against Brexit. And this man was pro-European. The only reason he led the Brexit campaign was because he saw it as a route to becoming leader of the Tory party. Is that really acceptable? Well, Ivan, one thing I will add, I think you said the, you hit the nail Michael on the head. Michael Gove, all his yeah. political career was pro-Brexit. I respected the fact yeah. that he chose to lead the campaign because he was always anti-European. Sorry. But No, no, but you hit the nail on the head, like a lovable rogue. That's what Boris wanted to portray himself as. And still he tries to portray himself as the lovable rogue. Every time media came up with or exposed one of his scandals, he, he tried to fight back, showing himself as the lovable rogue. In terms of Rishi Sunak, I agree with Ivan. I don't think uh, it debars from him from any political office that seat belt or party get. But I think personally, and I can speak for a lot of friends and colleagues, I don't think he has any credibility. And the, every day, the more he opens his mouth in public, except for when he's, with, uh, when he's in Ukraine or with President Zelensky, he he does he he loses more moral credibility. I think he should learn a lot from uh, President Zelensky on how to speak in public. I think Sheldon's right. I think all world leaders have a lot to learn from President Zelensky. Name yeah. one world leader you can truly respect. And Zelensky is about the only one right now, which is very worrying in terms of the scale of the massive challenges that the world faces. Yes. But I would say something else. Then you, you, you've not asked this question, but I'll answer it. Just because we've said what we said about Boris Johnson, there is still a critical mass of British people. If you ask them tomorrow, would they have Boris Johnson back rather than what they have at the moment, they'd say yes. And it, and it is not beyond the bounds. I, I thought it was until a couple of weeks ago. It is not beyond the bounds of possibility, by the way, yeah. that the Conservative Party, before the next election, fearing complete wipeout, will bring Boris Johnson back as their leader. I wouldn't rule that out. Most Tory members still want Boris Johnson The members back. do. And if MPs believe they're going to be like lambs to the slaughter because Sunak has not changed the game in terms of public opinion about the Conservative government, it is possible uh, that enough MPs will trigger a vote of confidence or trigger a process. And as Shadman says, if the members of the Conservative Party get to vote again for the leader, there's no question they'd vote for Boris Johnson. OK, brilliant. Moving on to the next question. This week there was a protest at a drag queen event which led to someone being arrested. What is that right answer to the LG? LGBTQ plus movement. Sorry, I'm, I'm totally unaware of this uh, protest. It's, it's Even all, I am aware. aware. Uh, yeah, no worries. But there, there was a protest of someone talking about giving of a story about a drag queen. Um, but it was rancid to this whole movement, which has become, well, fragmented a lot of uh, the UK nation. I don't understand. I genuinely don't understand what you mean by drag. You, so you, no, you'd so have to explain the context for this thing. Yeah. I know, so, but just in case, Amanda, uh, forget about that actual case, uh, but that actual LGBTQ plus movement, um, especially the, like, the, the trans and the queer and everything like that, what do you think is the right answer to deal with that with, within the moral sense or to talk about it? With it um, well, how do we treat people? I'll answer yeah. this. Like in Bangladesh, uh, LGBTQ, if you identify yourself as LGBTQ, you would automatically have the death sentence. So, really? unfortunately. Now, I totally am against that. I think people people should be allowed to identify, uh, like, in a sense, people, there is the biological gender and there is the um, identifying gender, uh, what people want to identify as. 
I would let the people individually decide what they want. At the end of the day, we are a free nation and free country. But I think one thing is very important. Uh, nobody in Bangladesh, if you identify as LGBTQ, you are excluded from jobs, services, uh, schools, yeah. universities. I think we need to make sure that basic human rights are always respected and basic, everyone has access to basic facilities and amenities. Like I've seen people being uh, socially outcasted. I don't think we should, that should be the reaction to any, of any society to such a movement. But also there is an element where, uh, like, when what I found in UK is, like, if you are, if you say, if you criticize the LGBTQ community in any way, uh, like even a legitimate criticism, then you, you are somehow targeted and cancelled by the mainstream media. I think also we should be aware that that must not happen, and legitimate criticism must also be allowed to take place. I agree. I mean, I believe in equality, respect, and tolerance mm. under the law. Yeah. Simple as that. But let's be honest, what we've seen in recent weeks in <coughs> Scotland, for example, uh, with the prison situation, mm, mm. first of all, well, what we've seen is with male rapists who have chosen to be, who, who, who sought to become uh, women, there was an attempt to put them in, in female uh, prisons by the Scottish <coughs> government. And, and those people demanding that right. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. When people listen to this, they mm. think we've gone absolutely mad in terms of what's acceptable and what's allowable. So, so as Shadman says, we have also got to stand up for certain values and be willing to take on certain uh, interests uh, which try and make the argument for totally unacceptable uh, uh, behaviour. I totally disagree with the law that uh, Nicholas Sturgeon wanted to bring in in terms of self-identification. Which was, uh, just explain uh, what that law was. I think at the age of 15 people... 16. 16, 16 people identify, self-identify. Uh, self-identify their, 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 yeah. their, their, their gender without any... Uh, any uh, consultation with professionals whatsoever. They could just wake up one yeah. morning and say, I have the right to identify as this, that, and the other, without any regard, by the way, the, way, the, the impact that that might have on women, for example, as J.K. Rowling and others have uh, said. So, uh, so, of course, there are legitimate debates to be had about where you draw the line in terms of people's rights uh, to, to self-identify, as it's described. Uh, and I think that that debate must be had, and it must be had in a spirit of tolerance. Yeah. Uh, we saw Labour MPs howling down a female colleague who was protesting about this self-identification uh, issue. She has spoken, I think, very loudly, this Labour MP, about how she's been treated because she's actually expressed some significant concerns. Uh, and that also is not acceptable. OK, let, let me, let's send a message from this programme. Sometimes it's so-called liberals who are the most illiberal mm. when it comes to anybody who disagrees with them. And the classic example, by the way, is religious tolerance and yeah. freedom of religion. When people have very, very strong religious beliefs, uh, they are often derided, they're often attacked, they're often uh, the, the victims of great hostility from so-called liberals. But that's illiberal. Yeah. Okay? So if we're talking about equality, respect, uh, uh, tolerance, this has to be applied equally. And there has to be no-go areas, no no-go areas in terms of legitimate scrutiny and public uh, uh, debate. And also I think I agree with uh, Ivan totally. I don't think Nicola Sturgeon, the way she portrayed England and English politicians on both sides, Labour and Tories, the way SNP portrayed that they are uh, anti-trans and everything. I don't, 
like Nicola Sturgeon actually was using trans people as a political weapon for her independence movement, like by showing that the she knew that the Westminster would block uh, SNP the Hollywood uh, bill, and by doing that, she wanted to make but a case for the. Shadman's uh, right, but there's yeah. also an ethical issue. It's not yeah. just a political issue. Yeah. Shadman is absolutely right. She appeared to be using a very emotive issue for opportunistic political reasons, which is yeah. unforgivable forgivable for any politician. But there are also very significant ethical issues about somebody at the age of 16 being able to simply wake up one morning and say, I am of this gender, without any recourse to any uh, professional import or any consultation or any... It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't feel right. In fact, it isn't right. Um, anyway, brilliant. Thank you so much thank for you. coming on, Chapman. Thank you so much, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.